0: We have been going through the book of Ephesians. However, we are going to step out of Ephesians this morning and go to. I'm sorry. What am I saying? We have been going through the book of Genesis and we are stepping out of Genesis into the book of Ephesians this morning. So if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For for through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the, the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that uh, you would add your blessing not only to the reading, but also the proclamation of your Word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen in Ephesians chapter 1 and also in chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 Paul stacks one upon another upon another verse about verse upon verse about how privileged we are because God loves us and so I'm not going to read verses 1 uh, chapter 1 and verse in chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 but I am going to go through uh, beginning with verse 3 and remind you of how privileged we are because God loves us. So you see in verse 3, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, God chose us before the creation of the world. The end of verse 4, God loves us. Verse 5, God adopted us to be His children. Verse 7, God redeemed us through the blood of His very own Son. Again in verse 7, God forgave us of our sins. Verses 7 and 8, God, and this is the word the Bible used, lavishes grace upon us. Verse 9, God made known to us the mystery of His will, which uh, the mystery of His will was that Jesus Christ, God's own Son, would come in here to the world to take on human flesh, to die a substitutionary death in the place of sinners, to rise from the dead and to to take His seat at the right hand of God, ruling over us, protecting us, having purchased our salvation verse 11 God gave us an inheritance verse 12 we as God's redeemed children exist for the praise of his glory verse verse 13 and 14 God wanted us to make he wanted us to be certain of the inheritance that he has given us and so it says he sealed us with the holy spirit to guarantee our inheritance Verses seventeen through twenty three God gives us wisdom and enlightenment. Why do we need wisdom and enlightenment? In order to grasp all the good things that God has done for us? He has been so good to us. He has been so loving to us. If God did not enlarge the 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 eyes of our spiritual heart, we would be able we would be unable to grasp just even the beginnings of how good and loving He has been toward us. And then you come to chapter 2, verses 1-10, through 10, and what He does is essentially starts all over again, telling us how blessed we are. But He does so against the backdrop of who we were as fallen, uh, sinful creatures. Uh, and so in verses 1 and 2, He reminds us that when we were born, We were born dead in sins. When we were living outside of Jesus Christ, we were living as spiritually dead people. We were disobedient. We were rebellious. In fact, the Bible says we were sons of disobedience. Verse 3, the Bible says, We were, by nature, children of wrath, just like the whole rest of mankind. But verses 4 through 10. I love verse 4. I love the conjunction here. But God. And I really can't improve upon it. I just want to read verses 4 through 10. Listen. But God. And this, he's talking about God's love for people who were dead spiritually who were rebellious who were by nature children of wrath but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you are in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters, you are blessed. If you are in Christ Jesus, God blessed loves you more than you can begin to imagine. So, what are we to do with this survey of God's goodness and His love? Are you going to love Him in return? Are you going to entrust yourself to Him wholeheartedly? Are you going to live for Him? I know that should be your response But you know what? Even as redeemed people, we don't always respond that way. You know how, even as redeemed people, how we respond to God's love oftentimes? We respond in pride. That's just the way sinful human beings are wired. You may not say this audibly, but the way we act, even as believers, sometimes, here's what it seems like we're saying. I am God's gift to God. God sure was wise to choose me. Since God loves me so much, then everybody else should love me too. And if everybody else, if if somebody doesn't love me, well, they need to repent. Sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? But Paul knows that that's unfortunately the way we uh, sometimes respond to God's grace. He knows that we are prideful people. So look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, "...therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul knew that the Gentiles in Ephesus, who had no claim to God's love, would become prideful and begin looking down their noses at the Jewish Christians. Um, But Paul tells them in verse 12, you had no hope. You were... Strangers to the covenants of promise. You are without God in the world. And so he reminds them, stay away from that pride because you had no entitlement to God's love. God simply loved you. In fact, verse 13, he tells them that they were not just separated from God, but verse 13, he says, you were far off from God See before Christ salvation was really only found in being Jewish or being a Jewish convert and I know I'm oversimplifying things a little bit here this small little no account nation minuscule a minuscule people compared to the vast populations that surrounded them Salvation came through the covenants of promise that were given exclusively to the nation of Israel. Now, those promises reached beyond Israel, extended beyond Israel, but they were given to Israel. And so that means that everybody else in the world who was not a... A Jewish believer, if we may say that. Everybody else in the world, all this vast populations of people around Israel. What about them? What about those generations? After generations of non-Jews. Well, they were, according to verse 12, without hope and without God in the world. Even today... There are vast populations who do not know Christ. There are billions alive today, according to verse 12, without hope and without God in the world. But God loves you. And it is not because you are good. It is not because you are wise. It is not because you are a worthy person. It is His free, sovereign, unconditional love that caused him to love you. There is no room for you to look down your nose at another person or do anything that would in any way imply that you are superior. There is only one reason that you became a Christian and it wasn't because of you. Look at verses 13 through 18. Verse 13 says that Christ brought you near. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love it here in verse 13 where Paul uses the passive voice. Uh, I love the passive voice in the Greek language. The passive voice often teaches us the gospel. Now, I recognize that every, not everyone in here will know what the passive voice means, especially as it relates to Greek. Um, I didn't know what it meant. Uh, my Greek professor uh, told me one time, he said, Holland, you frustrate me. You know the Greek better than anybody else here in the class, and you don't know your English well enough to use it. <laughs> and my mother was a teacher. Uh, so I learned English grammar by learning Greek. So I'm going to give you just a very short lesson in grammar so that you can understand the passive voice. So, for instance, if I were to say to you, I ran over the alligator, or I'll shorten it, I ran over a gator. um, Well, that would be in the active voice. It would be me acting on something else. Same thing applies to another person carrying out the action. So I could say, Rip Darden ran over a gator. <laughs> well, that would be the active voice as well. Um, if I said I ran over myself, well, that would be the middle voice. I am acting upon myself, carrying out the action upon myself. Um, now, if I said a gator was run over by a Mack truck um, or a bulldog, same, same result, um, that would mean, uh, that would be an example of a passive voice. See the subject of the sense of the sentence is being acted upon. The subject is being is completely passive in, in in the matter. So it's a passive voice. And so Paul here in verse thirteen is saying, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who once have been, you once who were far off, have been passive voice, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ acted upon us." We were far removed from God. But Christ acted upon us. He brought us near. How did He bring us near? He brought us near through His own blood. Two thousand years ago, Christ was stretched out on that cross. His hands and His feet were pierced. His head was pierced by that crown of thorns. His side was pierced by that spear. His blood flowed. And the Bible says that by His shed blood, Christ brought us to God. In verses 14-16, through 16, Paul says that Christ's blood saves both Jews and Gentiles and has made the Jews and Gentiles into one body which is, of course, the church. And that's his point in verses 18 through 22. He says, For through him, verse 18, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you being... He's talking to the Gentiles. So you then, Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the one household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. So... Um, Jews and Gentiles are now one body. We are now members of the one household of God. Verse 21 says that we are joined together to grow into uh, a single temple in the Lord. Uh, Verse 22 says we were being built together into the dwelling place for God by His Spirit. All these... um, These uh, analogies, the temple, the dwelling place, the household of God, all these things are simply, uh, he's simply speaking here of the church. So, uh, as I am moving to uh, conclude, I want to ask the question, how does Christ govern the church which he purchased with his own blood? Well, he governs it. Uh, we just sang about it, actually, in the uh, the hymn that Jim Eggert um, had written. He governs it by His Word and by His Spirit uh, through human officers. This is why Paul brings up this, this foundational aspect in verse 20 of the apostles and prophets. So, verse 20, uh, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus or Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. He mentions apostles and prophets to link the Old Testament with the New Testament. The Jewish with the Christian. And there are two foundation stones, the apostles and the prophets. But there's, real, but there's only one foundation. And Christ is the cornerstone that gives rise to those two foundation stones. We no longer have prophets. We no longer have apostles. But Christ made provision for His church by providing officers in His church, namely elders and deacons. I don't know why He chose um, uh, sinful, frail men with uh, all their flaws, their ambitions, their self-centeredness to rule in His church. I don't know why He chose me. Uh, but here we are, uh, immediately following the sermon. We're going to have a brief service of ordination and installation. Uh, William Matthew is going to be ordained uh, into the office of deacon. Bill Peck is going to be installed into the office of deacon. He was uh, previously ordained um, in uh, the Christian Reformed Church. That uh, is a heavy responsibility to be to serve um, as an ordained officer in the in the uh, church of Jesus Christ. Christ loves His church. In fact, He will judge strenuously the work that these men do as officers in His church. Uh, He loves His church so much that He died for the church. He loves the church so much that He shed His blood for the church. And if their work uh, as officers amounts to wood, hay, and stubble, it will be deemed a failure and consumed by fire, even though they themselves will be saved. So it's a heavy responsibility. It's one that I wear. It is one that all your officers uh, wear. It is one that uh, Bill and William uh, are uh, submitting themselves to wear as well. And if you don't understand my... Uh, allusion to, uh, or, or my reference to wood hay and stubble, it comes from First Corinthians chapter three, verses ten through fifteen. The apostle Paul says, "According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it." Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw... Each work will be manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. William, Bill... Don't become disheartened. The Bible says that God chose you uh, from before the, the creation of the world to serve His church as officers. And in setting you apart, He has also promised that Christ will richly, abundantly, supply all you need to serve Him faithfully and effectively. Let's pray together, Father. I um, now pray for these men. I pray also for our church. I pray that as they um, build upon the foundation that the apostle Paul laid as an apostle, uh, help help us always to remember we are also building upon Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. I pray that as you have set them apart. I pray that you would make them faithful and effective in the work that you have called them to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.